Welcome to the Badass Direct Sales Mastery Podcast with your direct sales dom, Jenny Bellinger. Badass Direct Sales Mastery is a podcast for rock star direct sales moms who are determined to make their business kick ass. Jenny will share her knowledge of effective sales and recruiting techniques, tips to get what you want from your business, and will interview direct sales professionals and leaders from various companies. The interviews will give insight to how these rock stars got to where they are and where they plan to grow in the future. And now, the direct sales dom, Jenny Bellinger. Welcome back to the Badass Direct Sales Mastery Podcast. It's your direct sales dom, Jenny Bellinger, here yet again with a really fun guest. I literally just met Mark a few minutes before we started recording, but we've been emailing back and forth. And I was introduced to him through an online service that helps find amazing, awesome guests for the podcast, just so you guys can learn more. Let me tell you a little bit about Mark Hirschberg. From tracking criminals and terrorists on the dark web... God, that sounds so cool. To creating marketplaces and new authentication systems, Mark has spent his career launching and developing new ventures at startups and Fortune 500s and in academia. He helped to start the undergraduate practice opportunities program dubbed MIT's Career Success Accelerator, where he teaches annually. At MIT, he received a bachelor's in physics, a bachelor's in electrical engineering and computer science, and a master's in engineering and electrical engineering and computer science, focusing on cryptography. Wow. God, you're such a slacker, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) So, and there, guys, there's more. I'm not done yet. At Harvard Business School, Mark helped create a platform to teach finance at prominent business schools. He also works with many nonprofits, including Techie Youth and Plant a Million Corals. Aww. I love that. That's so cool. He was one of the top ranked ballroom dancers in the country and now lives in New York City, where he is known for his social gatherings, including his annual Halloween party, as well as his diverse cufflink collection. Man, I am so glad you and I met because we are crazy together. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I am so glad that you are here. So let's start a little bit with some of that cool background. You have a very diverse background for sure, you know, including, you know, these two little places called MIT and Harvard. Tell us a little more about some of that, and then we'll get into your book. At MIT, I was there for my undergrad and my graduate work, and I've been active ever since. I was active with the ballroom dance team as a competitor, as a coach. But then about 20 years ago, I had left my job because I noticed as I was trying to hire people, there were a number of skills that I was looking for that I just couldn't find in candidates. They could answer the technical questions, but they couldn't answer questions about leadership, teamwork, communication. And I said, you know, these are the skills we're telling people are important. At the Mm -hmm. same time, MIT had been discovering this. MIT and their outreach to corporate employers who hire our students were asking them, what are you looking for in our students? And they're giving these same answers But the MIT curriculum, and frankly, most university curriculums, don't emphasize these skills. They just hope you maybe pick it up by osmosis. Oh, how a (laughs) freaking (laughs) luya. Yes. 
As that was happening, I happened to know the person who was tapped by MIT to get this started. I said, look, I, I left my job. I'm going to focus on this for a bit. I was looking at writing a book back then. So, but I have some time. Can I help you maybe put together this program? He said, oh, thank you so much. I am short staff. Please do help them develop some of the material. And he said, hey, why don't you teach? Because we have a bunch of professors and they're very wise, but professors don't really get off campus much. They don't really know business. Yeah. And we need practitioners to come in and help us. And that's how I got started. And then I've been involved with MIT ever since. That is super cool. Because, yeah, when I think of MIT, I don't think of soft skills. No. And in fact, it was even in some ways de-emphasized more yeah. than other, other schools. And in fairness, uh, that wasn't the wrong thing necessarily. Mm-hmm. If you think about what we do at MIT, we are a quantitative school. Yep. So whereas our peers at other IEVs were talking about Shakespeare and two people write papers with completely different interpretations, but of course, oh, everyone's right, right? It's, it's yeah. interpreting, interpreting a book. There's multiple interpretations. Sure. On the other hand, we're doing chemistry tests. No, there's one right answer. There is <laughs> one way these molecules can be configured and either you know it or you don't. Right. We are very much black and white and very much a meritocracy. MIT is probably one of the best places in terms of being a pure meritocracy. But what that means, because we can quantitatively measure certain skills, if you and I are applying for the same job and your score on the test was 92 and my score was 81, we're going to look and say, well, you're smarter. Objectively, we know you're smarter. You answered more questions. Therefore, the company should hire you. There's no question. But it doesn't take into account if they hire me, they go, oh, it's because you were best friends with the CEO's son. Say, well, yes, but it's not that he's doing me a favor. It's that the CEO has known me since I was six. And the CEO knows I am hardworking and I am dedicated. And I'm not just going to quit after two months if I don't like it. And those are other attributes that aren't being measured that are valuable. And that's the subtle difference between networking and nepotism. And so at MIT, because our model didn't take that into account, we looked at the negative side of it. But thankfully, because of this class that we created, we've changed that culture. And now it is really part of the MIT ethos, especially all the people are starting up their own businesses. And I think the world in general is understanding the value of networking and the positives of it and not just the negatives. Definitely. And you know, one thing that in in us talking beforehand, you you covered some of the things that are in your book, told me a little bit about it. And I can definitely see that so many of the things that you have in the book are applicable to people, not just, you know, in very quantitative positions, but also people who are doing this, this network business, network marketing business, direct sales business. Because one thing that I have noticed in my 10 years in this industry has been that there are a lot of people who get started in the business who are coming from more service-based industries, teaching, nursing, you know... positions like that, where they are not in the business of running the business, they're in the business of providing the service and taking care of the customer, the student, the patient, whatever, but they don't have to run the school. 
they don't have to run the hospital, right? So they're not on the business side of that. So then when they start their direct sales business or their network marketing business, they have all the social skills, but they don't always necessarily have the business skills yet, right? And but they're all learnable, which is really nice. And having something like your book, which teaches not just the the soft skills, but also some of the more business skills like networking, which I I have to say is hugely attributable to my success in my direct sales business when I was active. So let's delve into the book a little more then. So tell us about the book title. When can they get it? Where can they get it? The book is called The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. It is available for pre-order right now on Amazon. It launches on January 5th. Nice. It launches on January 5th, 2021. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Books a Million, lots of indie book sites. If you go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com, you can find different places to buy it as well as get additional free resources down from the website. And you can also download the free app that's going to help reinforce the lessons in the book. Ah. I love this because it, it, you know, I'm someone who, when I read a book for, for learning purposes, I can't just like sit there and and like speed through the book as quickly as possible, which is what I do when I read for pleasure when I'm when I'm pulling out because yes, I'm the weirdo who pulls out like the Fifty Shades of Grey or Harry Potter or other young adult novels like Twilight or whatever. Okay, <laughs> I will speed through those. It, as quickly as I possibly can, right? Just because it's it's for fun. But when, I, when I've got a book like yours, I'm going through and I've got a highlighter, a pen, and a notebook. And I am going through and, and highlighting the things that are jumping out at me, writing notes in the margin, writing notes in my notebook so I can you know, reinforce what I'm learning and how this applies to me because my little ADD brain if I continue reading without writing anything down or, or putting putting the information into play with how this fits into my particular business, you know, it's never going to work. But the fact that you you don't just have a book, you've got an app and, and additional resources on the website, which is super cool. So what are some of the topics covered in the book that, you know, are essential skills for success that nobody taught us? There are 10 different chapters focusing on 10 skills. And as you noted, these were not simply skills we knew the MIT students needed. Mm -hmm. Similar research done by other universities has shown this is what people want throughout corporate America. So if you're looking for a job in corporate America, you need these skills. If you're starting your own business, guess what? Corporate America knows a thing or two about what works. There's a reason they all want this. Your business probably wants these skills as well. Amen so to that. <laughs> we focus on a couple different areas. The first part talks about planning your career. And for some people, they might say, yep, I already know what I want to do, or I am in the process of getting there. This section ends with a chapter on hiring. Now, this is another skill that we have all seen lots of resources on interviewing, all of our career offices in college and lots of articles online, but almost no one has received training in how to actually hire people. And so if you're starting your own business or you're a manager in another company and you have to hire people, how do you do it? Mm. Most people simply, okay, I'll ask questions that 
people have asked me and hope it works out. But I have a framework by which you can actually have a plan. I think uh, that's jump- absolutely brilliant. Before you move on, because before anybody thinks, oh, this does not apply to direct sales or network marketing, if you are someone who is looking to build your team with qualified people who will actually work their business, then you want to interview them. When I switched my own recruiting and sponsoring from just taking anyone who would say yes and sign on the dotted line and buy their kit to actually having a conversation to making sure that they were a good fit for the company, the company was a good fit for them, the product, that they were coachable, willing to learn, that they were willing to work. And I I basically was interviewing them, that shifted how my business and how my team grew and how active those people were. And it completely changed my life and changed my income. So I don't want people to think that interviewing skills are not applicable in direct sales or network marketing. 100%. Because that's so important. So continue on. Sorry, I just wanted to like help people make that leap because that was a huge difference between the way I was doing business and the way other people do business and direct sales that I've seen. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. If you think about if your interviews help you find people who are just 5% better, well, everyone you've hired who's now 5% better, that translates back into your sales and revenue. And that little bit of extra effort has a huge long-term impact on your income. Oh my gosh, so true. So true. And if they're 5% better now and they're coachable and you know this because you interviewed them, imagine how those increases over time. So they go from being 5% better to being 10% better to being 15% better over time. This will continue to build and grow your business, will continue to build and grow their success in your business. Oh, I just, I, I can't emphasize enough the importance of having a conversation, an interview conversation with people before you bring them on. So I, I cannot wait to read that chapter. <laughs> And this, by the way, to to sidestep a little, this is the essence of the book. You're not going to be the world's perfect interviewer, the world's best leader, the world's greatest from this book. I cover a lot of different topics. But these topics, if we make you just a little bit better, and especially because these topics reinforce each other, so they're going to be additive as you get better in one and a second, one plus one starts to equal three. These small changes as you begin down this path will have a massive long-term impact on your success. And so just a few hours invested in reading and applying some of these skills, using the app to help reinforce it and keep it top of mind, is going to have a massive impact on your career or your business. Mm. Love it. Love it. So after interviewing, what's the next thing that is covered in the book? The second section is on leadership and management. And I break this into three chapters because they are three distinct skills that often get blurred. So the chapters are purely what is leadership, which is different from management. You often do both, but leadership is different from management. And management itself, I even break down people management versus process management. They're both important, but you use different techniques and skills in each. And unlike other management books, there's no, here's the master plan and follow my six step. It's here's, here are the fundamentals. Here are some tools and whatever process and tools you happen to like, just view it through this lens and it's going to help you be more effective. Oh, 
Love that because that's so true. One of the one of the greatest trainings I ended up going through early on in my direct sales career was when my upline leader, my my mentor, did a training on the difference between leadership and management, and that was my first eye opening thing that that led me to go, oh. Okay, I'm not in charge of these people, and neither, and and they don't have to answer to me. And you know, so how do I then, you know, begin to do the things that are more leadership based, right? Instead of managing, because you're in direct sales and network marketing, you are not a manager. You're not, and if you are acting like a manager, you're going to lose people real quick, because people don't leave jobs; people leave bosses. If you think about every job you've ever left, it was. Probably because you and your boss were not jiving in one way or another, right? And you probably love the job or like the job, or maybe you didn't like the job at all, but the boss made it so much worse that you pieced out because of the person rather than the position, I think. So, I mean, at least that's been my experience. I don't know about anybody else. <laughs> I think that's you know? very true. I see that in a lot of organizations. So much so. So, after leadership and management, what's the third section? Third section is on interpersonal skills. And so there are four chapters. They cover communication, negotiation, networking, and ethics. Oh, okay. That's probably going to be my very, very, very favorite section. Because <laughs> <laughs> in in having been in, in business now for, for 10 years and, and just in the world for my 40 plus, one of the things that I have found to be very interesting that I've noticed about the world is it's it's super interesting how many people cannot communicate. They can talk, they can verbalize, but they cannot communicate. <laughs> yes. Not effectively as they think they can. So what would you say are probably the top three communication tips that you share in the book or maybe you meant to share in the book and you know want to share here with the audience? Now, communication is a massive, massive field. There are thousands of books written a year on it on very disparate parts of it. So I, of course, in a chapter can't cover everything. I don't even try to. I focus primarily on the concept of mental models. So what do I mean by this? Many people have had the experience. You might meet a person like me who loves numbers, who loves math, and say, oh, let me show you what we're thinking. And they start throwing up all these formulas and graphs and charts and doing the statistical analysis. And in 30 seconds, you say, oh my God, done. I haven't thought of math since freshman year of college. And there's a reason for that. Uh And so that person just lost you because you don't communicate with numbers. That's not your preference. Mm -hmm. There are people who are great storytellers. And they can inspire and they can tell a story of how we're going to go from here to there and maybe give analogies or parables and get people going. And that's going to resonate well with some people better than those numbers. With someone like me, I'm going to go, that's a great story. But if I don't see a bunch of graphs and formulas, I'm not buying it, right? It's inspirational, but I got to see the numbers. We all have different mental models that translate into how we think about things. And so when you are communicating to someone else, it's important to understand your mental model and the other person's mental model and making sure you're communicating in a way that's going to be well-received by your potential client or audience or whoever needs to get that message. Mm, So true. And 
let me see. I'm trying to think of who said it. It's it's left my head, but you know, a famous quote, right? So we're just gonna go with famous quote. You probably know <laughs> the answer to this one. Know thyself. <laughs> yes. It, isn't that Shakespeare? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I think it's Shakespeare, but I don't remember which one it was from. So, but yeah, absolutely. If if you don't understand your own mental model, if you don't understand how it is that you best communicate and how others can best communicate with you, right? Because we unconsciously teach people how to speak with us, how to how to treat us through the way that we react to what they say and do, right? But if you don't understand your own communication model, mental model, it's going to be a lot harder for you to communicate effectively with others if you don't know yourself first and then begin to understand, well, what are the other mental models, right? Absolutely. Just think about if you were talking to someone who is not a native speaker of your language, what you're doing is you're asking them to do more work. There's a little more mental effort they have to do because everything you say, they have to go, let me translate it into my model. Let me see if that makes sense. And when you're asking someone to do more work, that's terrible for your sales. One of the first rules of sales is do the work for your customer, make them do as little as possible. So you want to understand their mental model and you want to move yourself into their model. You want to do the work so they have to do as little thinking, as little work as possible to get your message. Oh my gosh. Okay, everybody, I want you to stop what you're doing, rewind that and listen to it like 12 times in a row. (laughs) (laughs) Listen to that because if you haven't heard us talk about some of those similar things, now I have to say, I'm pretty sure this is the first time all of those ideas have been put together in one succinct statement like you just made. We have probably been talking about all those different ideas and concepts in, in different podcasts and in different interviews that I've done with people. This, guys, that right there is how you increase your sales, is do what Mark just said. So go back, rewind about 30 seconds. Now it's a minute because I've been talking too long. Rewind, re-listen to what he said. That was gold right there. Gold. All right. So communication, super important. (laughs) Absolutely. And so now after communication, you said was, was negotiation next? Networking and negotiation. Yeah. Okay, networking. Ooh, this is one of my favorite topics. So let's start with let's start with negotiation, and we'll come back to networking because you and I we could talk forever on networking. So let's let's sure. go through the negotiation stuff. Here is another fundamental skill that obviously salespeople need to do it. Salespeople do it all the time, and what kills me is people whose job it is to negotiate. Salespeople, recruiters lawyers, real estate brokers, all these people, they do negotiations as a normal part of their job and they have little or no training in it. And that kills me. Mm -hmm. Maybe if you've been a part of a sales team of a larger organization, you've gotten some training, but even then it's minimal. And it also tends to focus a lot of basic negotiations, focus just on, okay, how do we get more money? And not looking for other opportunities to create value. As you get to more advanced negotiation techniques, and I cover this in the book, you look for creative ways to increase the pie and to add value. Mm. And so really there are some basic techniques starting with do a little preparation. No one would go do a speech without having written down some notes and maybe rehearsed it. 
but so many people go into negotiation with, all right, well, let's just uh, show up to the room and hope we can convince them what we want. Do a little planning. <laughs> Even our planning has been shown to increase your negotiation outcome. Mm, very so good. Learning a few of these basic techniques and much like what we talked about with interviewing, if you could become 3%, 5% better at negotiating, spend a few hours, read this book, practice these tips, every negotiation in the future is 3% better. What would that do for your career, for your income? It has a massive return. Right. Now, you're using the term negotiation. I want to translate that, you know, because again, communication is important, right? So when it comes to people who are in the direct sales network marketing world, this would be a sales conversation. A sales conversation is oftentimes a form of negotiation. <laughs> it's figuring out what problems do they have? Do you solve those problems? How do you solve those problems? Which product or service is best for them? What's their budget? All of that's part of the negotiation. So I, I don't want you guys to think of like negotiation like, you know, hostage negotiation, <laughs> <laughs> which those techniques would probably be very effective in a sales conversation, right? But I want you guys to, to associate that negotiation piece as part of your sales conversation, understanding those things. Because if you can begin to understand effective negotiation techniques, that will improve your sales process, your sales closings, your the the happiness with which your your customers, your clients are walking away with because they feel like they've come away with a win instead of feeling they got scammed out of their money. <laughs> You'll also find as you become more attuned to negotiations, and this is true for all of these skills, you start to see more opportunities. So there are the obvious formal negotiations, a sale is a very clear, distinct one, mm -hmm. but you'll find opportunities. Maybe you're looking to do a partnership with some event and you want to have a booth at this event or you want to present at this event and there's a standard, okay, you pay us this money or jump through these hoops and then you can present or promote your products. Maybe you can come up with some creative opportunities to do more, to say, yes, I'll present and maybe I'll pay the fee, but what if I got other people? What if I brought a few other people now all of us together are going to get booths here? Can you give us a reduced price? Mm. Or if we all come together, I'm bringing in other, other customers to your event. How about we get a special promotion? You mention all five of us in the email that you send out before the event or after the event. You can come up with creative ways to deliver more value to your negotiation partner, but also to yourself. Ah, oh, I love that. So, so two things stuck out, of course, being creative with it. But the second thing I, is, again, I love the verbiage you use, your negotiation partner. So many people see their, the person that they're negotiating with as an adversary. This and is I a think, term. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no problem. I, I, I think that's. I think that's a really, a really important thing to point out to people is how you speak about that other person affects how you're going to treat them in the negotiation process. So if you're thinking of them as a negotiating partner, that we're looking at coming out of this so that both of us win, it's it's going to change the the tone and and the direction of the entire conversation. This is a verbiage I use throughout the book for that exact reason. And it came from this wonderful story. Sadahara Oh 
is the world champion home run hitter. He's a Japanese baseball player, more home runs than anyone else in the world. Mm-hmm. And when asked about how he hits home runs, he said he looks at the pitcher as his partner in trying to create a home run. And to me, that that's where I got the connection of, you think of them in a game specifically, they're very adversarial. Uh-huh. Right? Obviously, each side wants to win, and there's a binary, <laughs> if I win, you lose. Right. But he, even in that adversarial nature, looked at him as a partner. And as you noted, in our business dealings, whether it's selling to a customer or buying or creating a partnership, we're both doing it because we believe we will be better off by creating this transaction. We are partners that make things better for both of us. And if you go in with that mindset, you start to look for new opportunities and find ways to, as we say in negotiation, expand the pie before you divide the pie. That is so cool. Now I'm torn about what, I was, what I'm going to call your episode. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to put essential skills that no one taught you. And now I'm like, I still want to use expand the pie before you divide the pie, but no one will get what that is. So they might not listen. So we're going to go with it. We're going to go with what's going to get people to listen here. And, and Jimmy, feel free to keep this in the episode. <laughs> Because <laughs> I don't mind people seeing how I think. This is okay. Um, because I, I, I think it'll help others. So the negotiation piece, that is just that is fascinating to me because that's that's an area that, you know, philosophically seems to fit very well with where I'm coming from. And and I think anybody who is listening to my podcast on a regular basis, they're listening because they're philosophically very similar to me and and you know, they're probably also resonating with this as well. And now let's get to networking. One of my one of my very favorite topics. <laughs> I love networking, and you are absolutely right. There is not a school on earth that I'm aware of that teaches people how to network effectively. So let's talk networking. And what kills me is raise your hand if anyone's ever said to you, "It's so important to have a good network." Uh, right. Yeah, Everyone we're, we're all that. raising our hands. We're all raising our hands, right? Exactly. And if this is so important, why aren't we being taught these skills? I have that in the appendix. I talk about why. But this is a skill. And even though it might not strike you initially as, okay, with negotiations, if I do better, 5% better in my negotiations, 5% more revenue, but networking, like all these other skills, lead to improved outcomes in your career and in your sales. Because if you have a broader network, you can not only find more customers, suppliers, partners, more opportunities in general, but you can find ways that your network can add value to your other relationships. The more value in your network, whether it's the number of people or the strength of those relationships, the more you at the center of it can use it to help each other in your network and generate more value for the people with whom you have relationships. Mm. So, so true. So what are some of the key networking skills that you would say if someone is not familiar with effective ways of networking? Because I, I would I, I would venture that anybody listening to this who, who is in any business at all knows that they should be networking. And they are certainly going out there and doing what they think is networking, which is showing up at events and, and ha- you know, 
pre-COVID with business cards in hand, now during COVID times, showing up at networking Zoom events, <laughs> ready to to put their information in the chat as quickly as conceivably possible, and then saving the chat at the end so they can grab everybody else's information. That's not networking. Not at all. It's There's a quote in my book, saying someone that you have added on LinkedIn is in your network is like saying someone you swipe right on on Tinder is now your significant other. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. That analogy is so freaking perfect. Yes, exactly. Oh, I love it. Keep going. Preach, Mark. <laughs> but this is our mentality. Collecting business cards or adding people on your social network is not adding to your network. That's saying to your Rolodex, you could have a, a list of a whole bunch of addresses, but here's a way to think about it. Go through your network, go through all the people who you're connected to on LinkedIn and ask yourself, if I needed to borrow $1,000, which of these people could I turn to? Or of the people in my network, if they asked me to borrow 1,000, to whom would I actually lend them that money? Mm. And you begin to realize there are stronger relationships and weaker ones. And now not everyone needs to be someone to whom you would lend $1,000, but it's recognizing that someone who you just met once, who you can't call upon, isn't really adding value to your network. So when you want to build your network, it comes down to building relationships. Because in the end, your network is valuable because you can go to someone and say, can you introduce me to someone can I have half an hour of your time to discuss something? Can you make a connection for me? Can we get some value from this? And that will vary. Mm -hmm. That will vary from, can you just pass along my resume to your HR? That's not a big ask. Versus, can you introduce me to your CFO so I can go pitch her and try to sell her on a $10,000 sale? That's a much bigger ask. Yeah. And not everyone can do both, but recognize that you want to move up the value chain and build a relationship with people such that when you need it, you can get a bigger ask. Mm -mm. So, Mark, before the interview, I told you I was going to introduce you to Virginia Muskies. I guarantee you this is now going to happen. The two of you need to have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Right? Uh, because she actually, she's, she's my networking coach. I have a networking coach. Because that's how important networking is to me and my business. And, and I can't imagine doing my business without effectively networking. I, I honestly would not have a business without effective networking. Because so many of my clients, and I know that my numbers are, are abnormal compared to many other businesses, although in the direct sales world, we are word of mouth based uh, and referral based. But for my coaching practice, over 90% of my clients come to me by way of referral. And so that, that just, you know, feeds the fact that number one, I am doing well at my networking and I need to continue networking to keep that number high. <laughs> and that's true for most small business owners. You're not running massive $100,000 campaigns online. Right. You are going through word of mouth. And by having a larger network, because you can only take on so many clients yep. who can refer you as, hey, I'm, I'm her client. It's only by expanding your reach, expanding your network and getting people to know who you are and the value you deliver that you can expand your 
addressable market. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I know that the two of you are going to hit it off and and certainly we'll we'll have a much deeper discussion around all of this than than you probably ever thought possible. Cause let me tell you, this woman is the referral diva. <laughs> like that's that's her name. <laughs> So you are you guys are going to have so much fun having that conversation. And so there was one more chapter in your book after networking cuz you know I don't everyone who's my, all of my listeners who have been listening for any amount of time knows that networking is my thing and I could literally do a whole episode on just that, or probably a whole series of episodes on just that. So but I don't want to miss out on that last piece of really important information from your book. The last chapter is on ethics. Because unfortunately, there is so little written about business ethics, and so few people know how to handle ethical challenges at work, whether it's a company you work for or challenges you might face in running your own business. Mm. In this chapter, I don't give you the answers because there's no do this one size fits all. Right. But I present some frameworks that you can use. And it basically comes down in two parts. The first is in general, talking through what are some of the types of issues that you might face and how to possibly think about them. Because if we don't think about this, we're not gonna be prepared when we face it. Think about the fire drills we did as a kid. If you never did a fire drill, when a fire happens, you'll run around and panic and don't know what to do. But if you practice a fire drill, when a real fire happens, say, okay, hear the alarm, Everyone, we're going to be calm. We're going to handle it. Same thing. The first time you hit an ethical challenge, if you've never even thought about what could happen, you're going to be going by the seat of your pants. You're not going to be prepared. It's going to be stressful because there might be some important decision being made. But if you've thought about it before, if you've made some plans on how to face these challenges, you're going to do much better. The second part of the chapter, one of the most common ethical challenges people face is unfortunately with harassment in the workplace. Mm. And I'll begin by saying I'm not a lawyer or an ethicist. So if there's very clear disclaimer, you should check all this with a lawyer because state laws do vary. But it talks about how do you face this challenge and what can you do to be effective? I've had, unfortunately, far too many friends who have faced this problem. And these techniques can, can help them do better in that situation. Oh, that is fascinating because one would think being in a business where you are your own boss that you wouldn't have to deal with things like that. But guess what? You are also part of a team when you come into a a direct sales or network marketing business. Um, you've got you know the person who brought you in, all the people that they've brought in before you, all the people they bring in after you, the people you bring in, the people that are two levels above you, two levels below you. There are people all around you who are all, you know, trying to navigate this this new business. And and you know, I gotta say, when people are uncomfortable in that type of situation, it's really easy for some people to go to a nasty, negative place around others, unfortunately. So, you know, unfortunately, bullying doesn't stop in school. <laughs> you know, yeah. those things can still happen. So it's nice to know that there's a, a place where we can go in and get some of those tools in order to help us navigate and negotiate some of those situations, I'm sure as well, because I'm guessing that the negotiation chapter and the the 
the ethics chapter probably complement each other very well. Great example, because all these skills really do build upon each other. And by putting them together, you have such a powerful set of solutions for the challenges that you're going to face. Oh, gosh, I love this. So... Listener, I want you to know, because this episode should be coming out in January. So there's a really good chance that this book is already available for you. And here's what's really cool. Before you even get the book, while you're waiting for Amazon or Books A Million or Barnes & Noble or wherever you're going to get it from, are you going to have an Audible version too, Mark? There, there's already an ebook that's going to go live in a couple of weeks on January 5th. And we're looking at doing an Audible book probably later in 2021. Okay, cool. Because I know quite a few of my my clients have told me that they are Audible fans. They don't, they don't have time to read. And I'm putting air quotes around that. They don't have time to read, but they will listen. So I, w- I want to make sure you guys are, are looking out for this book. But no matter what, you can go download the app to your phone and start getting some of this information now and start learning this before you even grab the book if you want to while you're waiting for it to show up. Play around in the app. Start looking at some of this information he has to share because this is going to help you build and grow your business. I can guarantee if you put into play, as for the example we've been using pretty much for the whole interview, if you can put into play 5% of what he says, your business is going to be more than 5% better because it's going to amplify over time. It's like compound interest as you continue to to get better at each of these skills. So Mark, I so appreciate you coming on and sharing your expertise, sharing your knowledge with my audience. I so appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to your audience for giving me some of your valuable time. Absolutely. And so guys, well, you know how this goes. Stay tuned because there's another badass episode on the way. Thanks for listening to the Badass Direct Sales Mastery Podcast with your direct sales dom, Jenny Bellinger. Why are you waiting to go to badassdirectsalesmastery.com? Don't make the dom get her whip. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with another rock star that you know in direct sales after you subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any future episodes. You can also check out the show notes for links and any contact information mentioned in today's episode. We'll see you next time.